Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us for The Bridge Online today. Uh, I think this may be our 16th week in a row in this uh, new um, related, this, the COVID-19 um, version of life. And I'm so grateful to, to live in a country like the United States on this July 4th weekend. I'm so thankful that we have the freedoms that we do. Uh, freedom to help make decisions, freedom to vote, um, that we have uh, protection uh, in our nation and protection in our state and protection in our city, um, that I can be involved in change, I can be involved in protest. If I choose, I can be uh, involved in what happens in this country. I pray that uh, this would be true for all Americans one day, uh, just like my own experience as a white person, that this freedom will be for all. Let's jump in. This is our very last message in 1 John, and um, I've just entitled it Some Final Thoughts. Did you know that the average American spends 618 hours on social media each year? According to Charles Chu, in an article in Quartz Media, um, in that amount of time, you could read 200 books. Think about that. And you could still have 191 hours left over, leaving 32 minutes a day for social media after you've read 200 books. What if one of those books that you chose to read was the Bible? Did you know that you could read the Bible through entirely in 70 hours and 40 minutes out loud? That's less than 12 minutes a day. A 2019 article entitled Faithfulness in the Age of Distractions notes that 64% of car accidents uh, are caused by distracted driving related to cell phone usage. The average 25 to 34-year-old checks their phones about 50 times a day. I'm guessing that might be true for some other age groups as well. The average young adult spends 2.5 hours a day on social media, while the average 8 to 18-year-old spends up to 9 hours a day on social media. A further article denotes that excessive device usage decreases marital and relational satisfaction. Now, I know that's true personally. Uh, I've, I've been instructed this uh, by my own wife. In this age of technology, loneliness is an epidemic with 54% of people saying they always or sometimes feel like no one knows them. On average, we swipe or tap our phones 2,617 times a day, and those on the high end over 5,600 times a day. Another article observes that Honolulu, Honolulu became the first city in America to make it illegal to use your smartphone while crossing a street because of so many pedestrian accidents. In Austria, the Road Safety Board has added pedestrian airbags to lampposts, to light poles, 
because of the number of people who walk into the polls while using their phone. This sermon is not about smartphones. It's about influence. What or who influences your life the most? So today, some final thoughts from 1 John. The first thing that John brings to our attention is to pray for the believer who stumbles. Not necessarily with a smartphone, but a believer who falls down in their Christian walk. Uh, the first passage is 1 John 5, 16 and 17. And the Apostle John begins, he says, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. He says, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. So a couple of things here. This is a brother or a sister. So this is a, about a Christ follower. And, um, and, it, and what God is asking us to do here is to pray. To pray for this brother or sister. And he says, I refer to this sin that does not lead to death. And then the next, next verse, there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. So, this section has had, had some difficulty for interpretation during the entire history of the church. Um, first, I want to mention the context. What, what are those verses that immediately precede this section? And I just want to remind us, and this is what we looked at last week. Uh, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. This is the context. This is about prayer. And that precedes this. And that's what God is asking for us is to pray for our brothers and our sisters. God wants us to be confident in approaching Him. And God wants to answer our prayer when we pray according to His will. So let's look briefly at this interpretive problem and here's the problem. There are two main views uh, by biblical scholars on how this sh should be understood. Now, they both make a lot of sense, and they both have their problems. So, first of all, we look at the sin that does not lead to death. Uh, this refers to a Christ follower in both of, of the views, the sin that does not lead to death. In one view, the death refers to eternal death. And in the other view, uh, it refers to a physical death of a believer. So hang with me. Secondly, there's a sin that does lead to death. And this is according to the Apostle John. There's a sin that leads to death. Uh, if it refers to eternal death, uh, this would be understood as an unbeliever rejecting Christ. Someone who professed perhaps to be a, a Christ follower, but uh, really didn't 
understand or, or make this commitment. Um, if, this, if it refers to physical death, this would be understood as a true believer in Christ being involved in sin to the point that God decides to take them home early as a discipline from Him. Um, personally, this seems to be uh, the view that makes the most sense to me. And, and I'm going to walk through a couple of illustrations here uh, from the New Testament. And there are some examples in the Old Testament, but I'm going to use three just from the New Testament. The first one comes from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Acts 5 is the story of Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and wife who became followers of Christ in the early days of the church. There was a great movement of God in those early days. And people's lives were changed. And they focused intently on loving one another. They focused on worship. They were devoted to prayer. And they were devoted to God's word. There was a great display of generosity in the church. People were selling their property and they were bringing the proceeds and laying them at the apostles' feet, giving those gifts to the church to be distributed as there were needs. Now, this made sense to Ananias and Sapphira and they sold their property as well. And they brought the proceeds to the apostles and, and gave them to the church. But the difference is, Ananias and Sapphira both lied. And they lied to the apostles. And Peter says, you lied to God. And they wanted to look good. They wanted to look better than they actually were. Um, this was hypocrisy. And they lied about it. And they weren't even asked to give everything to the church. But they, they wanted to present themselves as better than they really were. And they both died right on the spot. And God took them home early. And there was a great sense of awe that came across the church. And God used this as an example and he got people's attention. Now, if God would do this more often in our day, we would probably take this really, really seriously. Another example is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And this is a case in the in early church history of church discipline for sexual immorality. There was a man in the church who uh, had an affair with his father's wife. That would be his stepmother. You know, dad, uh, maybe, his, maybe uh, the guy's wife died and he married a younger woman and then the adult son came along and ended up sleeping with his stepmother. And he's supposed to be a follower of Christ. The Apostle Paul called the church to take action to cast this man out of the church and turn him over uh, to, to, into the hands of Satan so that his sinful nature might be destroyed, meaning that he would have a physical death and that his spirit would be saved on the day of the Lord's return. Now, this is 
This is radical. This is a drastic action by the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul meant business. Uh, Here's an example of uh, Paul willing to let this man face his own spiritual death, outside or physical death, outside of the church, uh, without the protection of being in Christ, and uh, turning him over over into the world system of the evil one, and letting that take its course. But apparently. This man repented. According to 2 Corinthians, it seems like he must have had a change of heart and um, came back to God and was welcomed back into the church because of the Apostle Paul's drastic action. Another example also is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. This is about a passage about taking communion in an unworthy manner. It's about the, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ being misused, being abused at the Lord's Supper. It's about dishonoring Christ. And the result was some of the believers in Corinth became sick and some of them died. Our passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. And here's what it says. And Paul says, That's why many among you are weak, physically weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. And these just weren't people who fell asleep in church. Falling asleep was a metaphor, a euphemism, a nice way to talk about a believer's death. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was uh, talking about here. Now let's go back to our passage. 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. So, again, Paul says, if you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to pray for one another. Uh, This is about a Christ follower who falls down in their walk with Christ. Our instructions are to pray, not to judge them, not to gossip about them, but to pray for them. This is how you show sacrificial love for brothers and sisters in Christ. This is about loving one another. Now, it's so easy when a brother or sister sort of begins to fall down is for people to back off and to pull away from them and let them do their own thing and say, that's on them. But God says we should pray for them. He says there is a sin that leads to death, just like the believers in in Corinth. And he says, I'm not saying that you should not pray. Um, Sometimes we may not know uh, what the sin was that um, has been committed. Uh, It's a secret sin, and and we won't even have a chance to pray for it. Uh, Sometimes it may be a case like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where... um, A believer has sinned, they've been excommunicated from the church, and they're outside of the church, uh, just like the 1 Corinthians 5. And uh, the Apostle Paul said, treat them as an unbeliever. And it's not the same commitment to love one another when somebody is excommunicated, but you do have permission to pray for them. 
And, and that verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that doesn't lead to death. So remember, God calls us to pray for one another even when we stumble or fall. It's a hard passage, yes. Next, know these certainties about the Christian life. Know these certainties about the Christian life. Knowing is a very important concept in John's writings. He refers to it often. Uh, last week we saw how God wants us to know that we have eternal life and that we can be confident uh, when we come to God in prayer. John, remember, is writing in the context of the first century. There was a Gnostic heresy in this Greco-Roman world. And the, the Gnostics came with, with this high focus on knowledge. But it wasn't necessarily an objective knowledge. It was a subject, subjective knowledge and a mystical, that might include a mystical experience. And so for a person to be saved, according to a Gnostic, what they really needed was more knowledge. They needed to be educated. Not so with John. The way to be saved for the Apostle John is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And there is no other way. And John is emphasizing these concepts over and over. So he wants us to know these certainties about the Christian life. Knowing things doesn't save us. But because we're saved, we can know things for sure. Uh, first, God's child follows a new way of life and does not continue to live in sin. God's child follows this new way of life. This is what we call conversion, conversion to Christ. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue uh, to sin. This is a, this picture of conversion. So my first 25 years of life, I was once headed in a, in a direction that did not include God. It was just about me doing my own thing until somewhere around the age of 25, I encountered Jesus Christ and, and uh, He started to change my life. Uh, I experienced a conversion and I began a, a new course, a new path. I began to follow Christ and I, I was given new desires and new goals, a new relationship uh, with, with God. So God's child, it is normal, should follow a new way of life. This is a certainty, something that we must know. This is normal. Next, we see that God's child is under the authority of God's rule and not the evil one's rule. And this is somewhat of a repeat from earlier in the letter. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We belong to, to God. We belong to God's forever family. Those who do not know Christ fall into the realm of Satan and his influence under the control of the evil one, even though they may not be aware of it. So when you think about it, in the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve authority and responsibility to rule all of creation. It was under the realm of humans. But in Genesis chapter 3, uh, the evil one took possession of that authority 
on earth under the creation. And Adam and Eve lost that position. When Jesus came, he was the second Adam, and he began reclaiming and establishing his kingdom one life at a time. And he, he has put that responsibility onto us, his church, to reclaim, to advance his kingdom one life at a time. And we have the promises in Scripture that Jesus is one day going to ultimately reconcile and reclaim all of creation. Another certainty is that God's child knows that Jesus is truly God's Son, the only Savior of the world. Now this is one of those points that's been made over and over by the Apostle John in this book. Uh, look at verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So this has been so important to John um, as he has been uh, communicating in, this, in the midst of this Gnostic heresy. He wants people to be reminded that Jesus is the Son of God that he did come in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. He did live without sin. He died on the cross for our sins. He paid our sin penalty. He was resurrected from the dead. And he uh, returned back to heaven in honor and in glory. He is fully God and fully man. He is not like the Gnostics' view of Jesus. They saw Jesus just dying an ordinary death, an, an unfortunate death. And so um, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may, may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus. He is the true God and eternal life. John wants this to be clear. Jesus is the true God, the creator of heaven and earth. He is, the, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the source of physical life and, and spiritual life. And we get to know him with certainty. Finally, at the close of 1 John, we come to our third point. Keep Jesus as the ultimate priority in your life. What a way to end the book. Keep Jesus as the ultimate priority in your life. Verse 21. John just says, Dear children, children of God, keep yourselves from idols. We, who are members of God's family, God's children, we who have been forgiven. Uh, we who have had our sins paid for. We who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, we've been given an eternal inheritance. Uh, we've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We are to keep ourselves from idols. We are to be vigilant and we are to be proactive. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 reminds us, above all else, 
Guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. We have this responsibility to guard our hearts. So, God wants to be your most important priority. God wants to be your most important priority. Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6. And verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. This is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. It's number one and the most important, uh, according to Jesus. He says, you sh the scripture goes on to say, this is God speaking, and he says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Next slide. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous, jealous God. And this is what he's telling the Old Testament saints. These are their instructions. You must not do this. Now, the ancients had a practice that they would make rec replicas of various kinds of animals and things that they viewed as sacred, things that they viewed as important. And they were, they could be little trinkets or they could be big, but they were idols. And they became things that got honored. They were viewed as sacred and they were worshipped. High values. And God said, I'm a jealous God. I'm going to punish the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is still looking for people who love him and who are uh, fully devoted, who, who keep and obey uh, his instructions and his commands. I like the quote of Warren Wiersbe. Uh, he said, the thing we serve is the thing we worship. Whatever controls our lives and calls the signals is our God. Now, we may be way too enlightened and way too educated and way too smart to bow down to a, a trinket on a shelf and call them our God. But there are other things that become the most important things that control our thoughts that influence and control our energies that we give ourselves to. So what are idols for us? What controls our lives? What are the biggest influences? How much influence does social media have on our emotions, on our view of ourselves, our self-worth? How much influence does social media have on our values or our decision-making? A 2017 article entitled How uh, Smartphones Hijack Our Minds in the Wall Street Journal refers to two different studies. When a person hears a beep or a vibration or a ring and they cannot answer it, People get distracted, they become less efficient, they make more mistakes, their blood pressure goes up and their heart rate goes up. Lastly, idols are substitutes for God. They take His place. 
They step in for God and become a God for the person who uses them as a substitute. Um, we're going to look at Romans 1, 22 and 23, but I'm going to go back um, and just think about, this is the verse right before verses 22 and 23. Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, there are people that had experience with God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Something began to influence them and change them. Now we come to Romans 1, verse 22 and 23, and the Apostle Paul continues, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, actually, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. This is the great exchange. Something became the most important thing. Something became the highest value in people's lives. Maybe in our culture, an, an idol could look like a smartphone. An idol could look like a motorcycle. I'm thinking, that's a little personal. An idol could look like a new car or the next home. It could look like a boyfriend or a child. It can look like a pet. It can look like a bank account. It, it could look like achieving career goals or educational goals. What is it or who is it that's the most important in your life? Think about this. Who or what is the most important? What is your answer? Let's pray. Father, we just humbly bow before you and We thank you for the book of 1 John and for the instructions we've been given and the things that we've been reminded about. We think of our passage today and I ask God that you'll cause us to be mindful to pray for our brothers and sisters on their good days and on their bad days. When they walk boldly with you and when they stumble before you, may we be people who pray for one another. And God, I ask that you will search my heart that you will know my ways and that you will show me the things that I place ahead of you. And may you and you alone be my master and my Lord and my King. Amen.